0: Hello, my friends, Patrick here with a very quick note before we get into the episode. John and I invite you to head to the website, optimalagency.co, and get your HWT score, your health, wealth, and time score. This is a free assessment that will give you a snapshot of where you are today on the road toward your optimal agency. 60 questions will only take you a few minutes. You'll get a sense of where you are strong and where you are weak. Again, OptimalAgency.co slash HWT. The link is also in the show notes. Thank you in advance and let's get into the show. Hello and welcome to the Optimal Agency Podcast. My name is Patrick Cummings. I am joined, as always, by John Gilson. Together with you, we are exploring the ideas of agency, diving deep to discover a set of guidelines on how each of us can best operate in the day-to-day to maximize our personal autonomy, professional freedom, and ultimately our positive impact on the world. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Hi, John i'm stoked pat i'm ready (laughs) we're gonna dive into one of our rules again this we're back to our rules of time uh this one limit recurring commitments so before we get into that conversation as i like to do i just want to couch this inside of the broader rules of time as a reminder for folks we've got six rules of time six rules of health six rules of wealth rules of time number one default to no Number two, limit recurring commitments, what we're going to talk about today. Number three, preserve unstructured time. Number four, volunteer with caution. Number five, set boundaries and eliminate interruptions. And, and six, respond slowly and carefully. All right, limiting recurring commitments. I want to uh, start with, for me, when I think about this, the obvious place that my head goes is like, okay, work, right? Meetings. Like I think that's what most people think about. And when they hear limit recurring commitments, what they think is like, yeah, I got, I got recurring meetings on my calendar. (laughs) Right. So I want to make sure we, uh, we're going to talk about that first. Maybe we'll start there, but I also think it's important to broaden the concept of recurring commitments to world, you know, our lives outside of work as well, because I think we can often be just as, uh, guilty of setting maybe unnecessary recurring commitments outside of work as well. But let's start with work. Um, give me a sense of where to begin this conversation when it, when it comes to work and when it comes to most people who are listening, do not have complete control over their calendar, oddly enough. So let's maybe just start there with what happens. How do we start to limit recurring commitments at work when we've got one or two or seven people who have control of our calendar and just magically can put things on there?
1: Yeah. Uh, the idea that other people can put things on your calendar without first seeking your approval uh, is one of the the true uh, banes of the modern office, you know, or knowledge worker. I think it's ridiculous and needs to end immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would say that the starting place for limiting recurring commitments is to ask yourself a really simple question. Are we engaging in work, which is productive action towards an endpoint, or are we engaging in work theater, which is the uh, mock pretend version of engaging towards an endpoint? And then the next thing I'd ask is, are you the kind of person or is your organization the kind of organization that's profoundly uncomfortable with blank space on a calendar? right? Blank space on a calendar indicative of your employer's worst fears, which is you're not working now, you're watching Netflix, Uh, especially in the remote first kind of culture that we found ourselves in post-pandemic. So if you look at limiting recurring commitments, the first thing you want to ask yourself is, are there meetings that recur on your calendar that are under your control that don't need to exist? Mm -hmm. And don't need to exist because the project needs to or doesn't need to exist, but don't need to exist because bringing seven people together every time you need to make progress on a project simply is bad management. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think there's a lot of instances where that's the case, where you could step back and say, you know, I'm going to get seven people together for a brainstorming meeting for an idea about how we increase sales in Q3. Mm -hmm. When the reality is, if you sat down with an open document on your your screen and typed for 45 minutes, you'd probably come up with six or seven or 10 ways to do that without a voice of a single one of your colleagues. Mm -hmm. And then if you went to those five people and said, here's the 10 ideas I have for improving our Q2 sales, they'd say, good, good, stupid. That won't work. That's great. We can do that. How about these three? Let's bring these three to the boss. Mm -hmm. And instead of you using six people's hour, which is six hours, you used your hour and somebody else's 15 minutes and now you're making progress. And so I view that recurring commitment as work poison and often just as work theater because we don't want that blank space on the calendar.
0: I like that term work theater. What would you, what what would you say though to the argument of like, well, I need everybody, I need, I need to, you know, we need to brainstorm this. We need to figure this thing out. We need to solve, uh, you know, we've got this problem and we don't know what the solution is yet. And we need everybody's, uh, we need everybody's take on it, but really we need everybody's kind of buy-in on it. Because mm-hmm. there is, there are times that that's, that is relatively useful.
1: There are. There are times when you need everyone's input, and I would argue that they are many fewer than the times <laughs> yeah. that, that, that that's attempted. Uh, simply because, I mean, I've found more and more working in uh, companies that are at scale that have... 200 employees, a thousand employees, 15,000 employees that we tend to value consensus more than we should. Mm-hmm. And consensus is the idea that everyone in every rank that has any obligation to help this project be seen through has some voice in its strategy direction and tactics. And what I've found through practice, this isn't theoretical. What I found through practice is if I have to get seven people together, it's better to go. Emma, I need you to work on getting our cost per click down with the agency. Sally, I need you to get five photos together for the fall campaign. Jim, I need you to rewrite this copy. It's too vague, right? And uh, Susan, if we could get this video cut down from two and a half minutes to two, that'd be great. Does anybody have any questions as to what they're doing or why they're doing it? Is anybody roadblocked? Mm-hmm. And inevitably... People come back to me after meetings like that because they take 10 minutes mm-hmm. and go, that's the best meeting I've been in all day. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for just telling me what you wanted instead of asking me to solve your problem. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think the reality is, is we think everybody wants to provide their input. But if you've ever been in a brainstorm, it's usually actually an excuse for the highest paid person in the room to engage in yeah. brainstorming theater. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're while thinking they're, out loud. Yeah. Well, their idea gets ramrodded through. Yeah you know. Yeah. I think the other reason that this occurs and I know I'm waxing a little poetic here but it's it's there's a certain class of manager usually at the upper levels VP C-suite and above whose calendar does have to be packed end to end with recurring commitments because their job is literally to check in with other people and to make sure they're not roadblocked and to make sure everything's moving in the right direction. And so you look at your boss's calendar and it's it's not even nine to five anymore. It's like eight to eight, mm-hmm. wall to wall. Mm-hmm. And so they're actually portraying a behavior that's a very poor indication of how a director or you know somebody who's an individual contributor should be spending their day, mm-hmm. right? But you look at that model and it's like, oh, well, I guess what I'm supposed to do is pack in these recurring commitments. And yep. you're not, you're supposed to deliver.
0: Mm-hmm. I came across an article in uh, Harvard Business Review about the benefits of having fewer meetings. And so, what 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 made me think about it was um, this this fear. Uh, okay, so we're gonna pat, we're gonna add ca- things to people's calendars because we're worried they're not being productive. We're worried that they're to your point where they're on Netflix, whatever the fear might be. And the funny thing is that this this uh, report came back said across the seventy six companies we surveyed, we found that employees employee productivity was 71% higher when meetings were reduced by 40%. This is largely because employees felt more empowered and autonomous. And so l- quite literally, the thing you're, you you think you're solving for is if I need to see them, I need to talk to them. And that's how I know they're being productive mm-hmm. is inversely related to the actual productivity that you say that you are aiming for. And so I say that because I, I want to make sure we couch this again, because I think if I had to guess, most people aren't the ones adding the things to the calendars. They're the ones kind of receiving that. How do you get yourself to a place where you have the autonomy and the time and the space to be productive, like everybody wants you to be? Mm-hmm. What are the steps that somebody could take other than just blank <laughs> defaulting to no, right? Again, some people might not be in that position to be to be able to blanket no to whatever calendar invites might come. But I do also imagine that there's a way to earn the right to say I don't need to be in this meeting, right? And so maybe we can unpack a, a little bit of what that could look like so somebody could move themselves from constantly receiving calendar invites to being able to say, no, no, that one makes sense, but not for an hour, that's a 15-minute conversation.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm,
0: You can absolutely earn the right to say no, and I would argue
1: you don't need to. Mm. In other words, you'll earn the right by saying no, not by earning the right to say no. Uh, unless you are a fresh college grad who feels the need to say yes to everything, uh, the way to do it first is to understand what your priorities are and what you're expected to contribute to the environment to, that you work in, in terms of raw deliverables. What do I literally have to deliver this quarter, this week, this month? And to know why is that important? So know what you need to deliver and then know why it's important. Mm -hmm. Where does it dovetail into the larger picture? You should always, no matter what level of an organization you're in, know what the big picture is. And if you don't know what the big picture is, it's your obligation to clarify. And so if I know what I'm supposed to do, it becomes very obvious and very clear what doesn't contribute to that and what does contribute to that. And so the first thing is I get the calendar invite for the fund committee. To put together the you know the the harbor cruise for mm-hmm. a thousand people, and I'm due to deliver a strategic sales plan that needs to take us from a fifty percent conversion rate to a seventy five percent conversion rate. It's fairly easy to say no. That's not the that's not the hard one. The hard one is the meeting where somebody wants to talk about product changes to the roadmap that potentially impact how you could increase sales. Mm-hmm. And so you, you were being given some kind of input into the product roadmap. Well, should you take that? Should you not take that? You can ask for what's going to be delivered at the meeting ahead of the meeting. And so it's great. Could you just share the roadmap you're planning on presenting with to me? So subtext here, Mm -hmm. I don't want to watch your 54 Mm -hmm. slide presentation. Mm -hmm. I can read it in 13 minutes Mm -hmm. instead of an hour. Mm -hmm. There will be no embellishment and I'll provide you with my feedback in writing.
0: Yeah. Right. Yep. One of the things that I've done and it, it makes sense for this kind of stuff that I do, but I'll, I'll put together a seven to 10 minute video. I literally like screen record, like if it's a website or if it's a, whatever it might be. And I'll just like, I'll send that in advance of the meeting. And I say, Hey guys, like, and then I come into that, assuming that you've watched it and assuming that I don't have to repeat myself. Mm-hmm. And then it allows the first 20 minutes of that meeting, not being me blathering on, but instead like, okay, like I can assume that you've that were at least starting from this place. And now instead of talking for an hour, we can talk for 30 minutes, but get to where we would have gotten in an hour because I had spent 15 minutes and they had spent 15 minutes doing this kind of pre, this kind of prep and this kind of pre-work.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. One of the other things that I really like to do with meetings is to make them shorter than you should. Yeah. Uh simply so they don't, you know, and to be the person who leaves when the clock says it's over. Uh, The other thing that I like to do, if I'm interrogating someone else's meeting, don't say yes to something just because it appears on your calendar and the person who put it there makes more money than you. Mm. You're allowed to send the message that says, you know, John, why do I need to be here? If you don't know, if it's not clear. And I'd say that we may be overemphasizing to other people putting things on your calendar. Uh, although that certainly happens in the current hive mind. Uh, Look inward first. Are you guilty of this? Mm -hmm. Are you guilty of work theater and not even work theater? Are you guilty of getting together a working group as a substitute for work you should be doing? Mm -hmm.
0: In other words, are you trying to abdicate some amount of your responsibility by bringing other people in? Is that what you mean by that? It's certainly an element of it, but I'm speaking more to
1: the idea that you know that you have to spend at least, let's call it, Two hours a week working on something in order to deliver it by deadline. Instead of putting those two weeks, uh, two hours, I'm sorry, blocked out on your calendar, you're blocking out two hours on three people's calendar, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, Actually, now that I think about it, there's this huge level of abdication mm-hmm. to that because mm-hmm. it becomes no longer me; it becomes we. Yep. Has to de- we yep. have to deliver this, yep. and I think I think there's comfort in that. So totally. yeah, that's a great observation.
0: Yeah, and the, I mean Cal Newport talks about the kind of the ping pong of email before, like your turn. <laughs> like I answered it sort of here. Now I'm going to ask you a question. It's your turn now, and it's it comes down to. I think what you said previously, which I think is, is, is worth just reiterating, which is like, know what you're working on and know why it matters because absent of that, then busyness feels like work mm-hmm. versus when you know what you're working on or what you're responsible for and you know where it fits in and why it matters, then there's a really clear line between is that work or is that busyness, but absent that distinguish that, that ha- having ha- having that be distinguished. We just want to feel like we're being useful. And so we're going to fill time to the degree to which we can with whatever might come along with that.
1: And the larger an organization gets, the more abstract your contribution is. And so the more likelihood you are to engage in work theater slash busyness. Uh, yeah, it, it reminds me of a conversation that we had quite a few episodes ago uh, of keeping the main thing the main thing. We're talking about that in your individual North Star. Why do you exist? What what are you trying to accomplish and, and saying no and aligning your health and your wealth and your time against that thing? You can do that in the microcosm of work. And, you know, I love the idea that it would even be a microcosm. Mm-hmm. Work is mo- a large portion of a lot of people's day.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's um, change course a little bit. Like I said at the beginning of this, I do think it's there is value in, certainly in what we have been, been talking about with work because m- many of us, most of us are knowledge workers to a degree. And so meetings are an obvious part of that. But there's also the 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 other part of our lives, the life part of our lives, where I think we can still get become uh, unwitting participants in recurring commitments that maybe aren't the, Aren't the best use of our time. so let's let's maybe transition a little bit into that and just where do we begin with that? Like what do, I guess the question is, what do those kinds of things often tend to look like? Because mm-hmm. meetings are we can tell what a meeting is, right? A lot of times we can't tell what a recurring commitment looks like outside of outside of work.
1: It looks like be a certain place at a certain time repeatedly. <laughs>
0: yep.
1: Right. I mean, I, and I realized that's super elementary and pedantic, but that's what it looks like. And so what can I slot in there? I can slot in, uh, ice hockey practice. I can slot in book club. I can slot in the PTA. I can slot in the X, Y, and Z committee. I can slot in date night. I can slot in uh, your weekly self-care hour, Mm -hmm. right? I can slot all of those things into recurring commitments. Uh, And it becomes interesting in Running that, I have to be a certain place at a certain time to do a certain thing through one more filter, which is, does this align with my priorities? You know, we're saying limit recurring commitments, not anything that must recur not murder or well, not murder them. <laughs> yeah. Like you don't need to take them out back and, and bury them. Uh, but it's really the question of does this match with my most dearly held values and priorities? And I just find that too often people aren't conscious of whether that's a fact or not. Uh, I routinely in the town that I live in get asked to serve various civic uh, in positions. Mm -hmm. And, um, what I usually run the filter through in addition to does this align with my priorities? And frankly, one of my aspirations is to certainly contribute to my community, but rarely does it turn out it's my priority. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I also find that almost invariably I'm not the right person for the job. Mm -hmm. Somebody else could do the thing,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know? Uh, and so those are fairly easy to say no to, for me, um, but there are other recurring commitments in my life that are wonderful. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, you know, I sit down every Wednesday and I write the newsletter for uh, Optimal and I love it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I have a standing date night with my girlfriend, that's very mm-hmm. handy you know, uh, because it puts a time at which we know our obligation is invariably to each other. And that aligns with my values of, you know, keeping my relationship (laughs) happy and going and trying new things and doing sports, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, it's, you know, we're not taking recurring commitments out and murdering them, but we are running them through the filter of is this two things, right? Is this aligning with my priorities and am I the right person to do this?
0: Yeah. Yeah. What, one of the things I was thinking about is that, uh, HWT health, wealth, and time are awfully good filters through which you can run. Is this recurring commitment? Does this recurring commitment make sense? Right. Cause you know, you'd mentioned a few that perhaps might not, but you, we could easily say like, uh, you know, date night, great one, uh, uh, bi-yearly meeting with your accountant. <laughs> great one. <right? laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, fill in the blank, right. You can, you can come up with, and again, I think that, that, If nothing else, this construct of health, wealth, and time in pursuit of agency is a really good decisional filter that we can use to measure do these things make sense, right? And I'll say just for myself, like my oldest is getting into t-ball. And so now it's Wednesday practices and Saturday games. And I can, and it's very not serious, but I can already see a life where, because I got another, I got a three-year-old, he's going to be playing t-ball in a couple, like I can see a life where I've got five sporting commitments on my calendar every single week. And without an understanding of, you know, this kind of goes back to what we talked about in our our conversation about default to no. Like, until you get a really clear on, why do I say yes to things? What do I say no to? How do I balance those, my own needs, my own priorities with the priorities of other people or a blanket priority set from just like, God, I just feel badly not going to that thing, right? And it's so easy to just say yes to all of it, especially when it's something you know. And I think a lot of people can can relate. You know, you've told the story of, I don't know if she's a friend, but somebody you know who's like, I went to three birthday parties this this weekend, right? Like, how was your weekend? Not very good. I went to three birthday parties <laughs> for years. F- no, my kid. It's like, okay, like there is a point where you've got to be able to say, three birthday parties don't make any sense. But mm-hmm. absent a set of priorities, absent something like HWT. Then it's just like, I'm saying no for no reason. Well, and it's, I think there's one more here in the context of children that feels really important to
1: to me, which is what do I want for my kids and what do my kids want for themselves? Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, Your oldest isn't terribly capable of determining what's best for him. He certainly is capable of determining what he wants. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you have to ask yourself, I think, like, what does t-ball provide for Emmy mm-hmm. that something else does or does not, you know? And so it's socialization with kids his age. It's hand-eye coordination. Uh, it's the ability to be gazed upon by other people and not to crumble under their under their gaze. So there's some level of I'm learning accountability. Uh, and You will find a diminishing return in the third thing he does that provides those same life lessons slash skills, Mm -hmm. you know, but if your filter is, I will do anything my kid wants because I want him to be well-developed, you haven't really thought about what you're developing. And so it's about stepping back and saying, what are my priorities for him mm-hmm. that allow me to say yes or no to this recurring commitment. And, like you know, we talk about uh, my friend there who ended up at three kids' birthday parties. You clearly were... T- Allowing your child to develop social relationships and to be the kind of kid that other kids want to play with and to engage in generosity by bringing a gift and then to engage in some kind of maniacal exercise by consuming a lot of sugar. <laughs> yep. And so like, how many times do you need to do that yeah. uh, a week yeah. or a month for your child to not turn into a sociopath? I'm going to argue it's not three times in two days, you know, and so... Yeah. Can you overlay the filter? For
0: yeah, the, and I know I'm thinking it as well. Yeah, and I know I'm thinking about kids specifically, uh, but I think it's also to your friend's uh, challenge to my own when it comes to T-ball and the rest. Is there is a difference of there is a difference in quality of time spent, right? So it feels like I say yes to this because I want to spend time with my kid, but both at the birthday party and at the T-ball game, I am actually not spending time with my kid. So th- so it's hard to make that argument that I'm doing this for them. Mm-hmm. again, I'm not saying don't go to your t-ball games, don't go to, but my point is like to get clear on, those aren't the same thing as making an hour or setting aside an hour to just spend with the kid. Mm-hmm. That's actually what it kind of feels like you're doing when you go to the t-ball game where you say yes to the three birthday party. It's like doing this for my kid because that's, that's what that's who I am, that's what I do. But the truth of the matter is, is that that is not actually what's happening in that case. And so if that's what you're trying to do, amazing stop saying yes to other things and make time for the real quality time, which is going to be likely one-on-one or, you know, much more intimate than he's out there playing first base and I'm standing here on the sidelines. Um, uh, not, you know, and he can't hear me and I can't be of use to him or he you know, whatever. Um, okay. So that, that's one thing. And maybe is the last thing I think it might be worth bringing in some of the other rules of time. Cause I feel like we've touched on some of them and, and I think they suffer, one of them suffers and one of them is uh, is kind of a, a partner to this one, which is the one that suffers is preserving unstructured time. Mm-hmm. When we have unnecessary, and that's un- unstructured time at work, which we feel like is not allowed. <laughs> it's actually wildly <laughs> useful, right? So that's part of it. And then the other rule is volunteer with caution. And so let's just, I'd love to just your thoughts on like how these three rules, if not the other rules kind of can get intertwined and When you get when you when one gets stronger, the other two, the other four, the other five can also get stronger.
1: Yeah. uh, All of the rules of time are, are interdependent and very intertwined with each other. In terms of limiting recurring commitments, what that does is it creates swaths of unstructured time. And so it's it's the genesis. Uh, rule. If I can make sure that I'm not signing on for that recurring commitment, I have that unstructured time, which you will then subsequently structure, but you'll structure it against your priorities, including, right, leaving it genuinely unstructured, i.e. gaze out the window, uh, versus uh, mildly structured. I'm going to work on the Peterson- account and, you the know,
0: Peterson account, never the old
1: done. Peterson account,
0: uh, you <laughs> know, closes.
1: versus I'm going to work on a very specific thing, which is I'm going to put together an analysis of our Q3 financial results, including our return on investment of time or, you know, whatever that happens to be. So, uh, there's that relationship and then volunteer with caution. That's just another way to avoid recurring commitments, really. Uh, because when somebody asks for a volunteer, Uh, and you raise your hand and get up on tiptoes and go, ooh, me, 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 you probably actually signed up for a meeting. That's probably actually what you signed up for. Or multiple meetings. Or multiple meetings. Yeah, Recurring meetings. Yeah, a meeting. (laughs) Has anything ever happened in a meeting? Like, you know, just maybe town government. I guess if you're
0: really bad at the meeting, they wouldn't invite you back to the next one. So maybe that's a... (laughs) Uh, Practiced
1: incompetence is a strategy I've levered in the past. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely done that. Uh, So they're, they're all related, right? And so limiting recurring commitments is by saying no. You should default to that, which means if somebody asks you to come to a meeting that happens more than once, you should probably default to saying no to that, all right? And then you'll get your unstructured time back, which you'll use productively. So you'll be more clear on what your priorities are. So it's easier to say no to recurring meetings, right? And if you say no to those and somebody says, hey, I need somebody to help with this, you're saying, I'm sorry, my time's accounted for. I'm not volunteering, right? And so these things kind of just intimately will cascade off of each other.
0: Yeah. And then just the last thing is, is, and cause I said it half jokingly, but I'm serious is like, is the importance of call it unstructured time, but the importance of making time for figuring out what you're doing before you make time to go do it. I Mm -hmm. think is so underappreciated, especially if, you know, cause we both work with uh, other people who are running businesses, et cetera. Like there's like, there's no time. They don't make any time for figuring out, is this the right direction? let alone, is this the right strategy? But are you like, is this strategy going to move you in the direction you want to get to? And they're so busy doing things. They're so busy filling the calendar with action, with meetings, with activities, with whatever. Theater. Theater that they know. So, but I say all that to say, like there's something uncomfortable around, around whether you're an employee or whether you're the boss, putting an hour on the calendar and it does, there's, and it's not a thing. It's not a direct act action it's it almost never is a direct action and so there's something uncomfortable about that and it's even on on the personal side there's something about like no saturday's saturday afternoon i'm not doing anything what like why does why is that (laughs) why is that why does that feel like uh selfish why does that feel like unnecessary when it is the very thing that makes the the things that come after it effective
1: we have a hard time with blank space yeah And it's easy to blame that uh, on our culture and say, and to some degree, that's not actually counterfactual, Mm -hmm. right? It's a very, um, it's a very Western knowledge work, productivity driven system that we live in, right? There's a reason and, and I, you know. This is going to zoom way out, and maybe we can come back in from space afterwards, but uh, there's a reason that American GDP growth marches onward and upward, Mm -hmm. and it's because we are intensely preoccupied as a culture with productivity, productivity being the generation of dollars, okay? So, that's a net positive. What we are similarly bad at is knowing what will be productive and what won't. And doing that discriminative function of sitting back and saying, all right, I need to generate X, Y, Z dollars in this business. Should I be spending my time on the pricing strategy or on inventory control? Mm -hmm. And so one of those two things will yield a superior result. And to know which, you'd have to think about it deeply, maybe for days and days and days and days, and and then act. Mm -hmm. That's not what we do. And I've, I've seen this. What we do is we say, well, inventory control is a good idea, so is a a pricing strategy that succeeds in the market. Let's do both. And in doing both, what we're doing is we're saying to everybody below us, these are our two priorities. We've talked about this before. Priorities Mm -hmm. is not a plural word. Mm -hmm. You only get one. And so it's that lack of discrimination and that time spent thinking about the next act and the lack thereof that looks unproductive to any observer. And this is a factory mindset. So if you came into my office and you watched me work and you saw the amount of time working that there is no work. And in fact, you know where I'm not? I'm not in the office. Mm -hmm. I'm walking around the lake. I'm walking the dog. I'm in, I'm moving a barbell in the basement, Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and I'm allowing subconscious processing. I'm also a- often actively thinking about the solution. And don't we all want to be that person? So imagine that you were the, you know, imagine, I want you to imagine this in your head. Imagine a giant granite block, 10 foot on a side. Mm-hmm. And you've got a chisel in your hand and you've got a mallet and you're walking around that thing in circles. And that's all you're doing. And somebody's watching you do that. And then there's somebody else in that situation. They're watching that guy go to town on that block with the mm-hmm. chisel. And the objective is to split the thing in half. Mm-hmm. And imagine if you were the person who went, found the fault, thought about the fault, tracked the fault, found the fault, put the chisel on there once, hit it with the hammer and it split in half. Mm-hmm. You would look like a genius. <laughs> yep. Right? And on the other hand, you could have all that flailing and all that banging and nothing. Yep. right? And I would argue that most of us don't spend time looking for the point of leverage. Mm-hmm. Where can I do the thing? And my whole profession is, let me help you find the point of leverage and tell you how to hit it, yep. as opposed to flail away. Mm-hmm. you know. And my experience in corporate America has very much been the latter and not the yep. former. Nobody's walking around thinking and looking because it looks like walking your dog around the lake
0: because yep. until the moment where you strike the the marble and it cracks you look like a fool because mm-hmm. there's there, it, because until then nobody knows what you're doing yep. after you look brilliant. <laughs> Before, you look like you don't know anything. You don't know what you're doing. You look lost. Well, and let's bring it back to your point
1: of accountability. Are you willing to look like an idiot until you deliver? Mm -hmm. Well, that means you have to deliver or you Mm -hmm. just look like an idiot. (laughs) Right? In the meantime, if you're over flailing away, they're like, we value hard work as a a virtue. Mm -hmm. That person's working
0: hard. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap this up. Anything on the topic of limiting recurring uh, uh, commitments worth mentioning that we haven't talked about yet before we wrap this up? if
1: people put meetings on your calendar without first asking you, fight back. Ask why that's happening. And if you can, go to the highest possible level of your organization and stop it as a practice. Mm -hmm. Everyone who is invited to a meeting must agree to come to that meeting unless the title of that meeting is all hands. (laughs) Right.
0: right. And I will say that you do that once, you will make that person question, am I going to add her to this meeting? Because I don't want to answer that question again. So just, I honestly think if you do that once, you'll at least save 50% of the meetings because you because you're forcing the person who's putting that on your calendar to ask themselves a the question that you should be asking which is who needs to be here right yep all right amazing all right good luck everybody out there thank you for your ratings and your reviews thanks for listening more than anything if you have a friend who might like uh, this episode or optimal agency in general please do share this show share the project with them that uh, helps new folks find it and that's what we are here for john and i will be back next week with another episode of optimal agency One more note, one more invitation before we go, a reminder to get your HWT score, to figure out where you are today on the road to Optimal Agency. Optimalagency.co slash HWT is where you can find it. The link is also in the show notes. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.